This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're the Menschwormers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. I'm Jamie. I'm here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? It's World Cup week. I'm doing great. How 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 bad could I be? We've got soccer's biggest event. The, the yeah. biggest event in soccer starting in three days. Uh, and we're here this, to talk to you about all, all of the Jews involved. This is the first like international uh, competition that seems like normal in terms of COVID. And it's uh, it's one that's very abnormal in every other way. Yes, because you know it's I mean? happening in in uh, a country that, well, for our purposes up until very recently, did not allow Jews entry. Uh, <laughs> well, Israelis at least. I mean, I think you yes. could, you could, if you didn't have an Israeli stamp uh, on your passport. That's true. You could get, Although get that's that's changed recently. That said, you know, it's happening in November. There was some serious ethical issues involved in the uh, event itself, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, yeah, but beyond that, it is it is the world comes to Qatar sure. uh, for for a, a large scale event for the World Cup. So so before we dive into that, I think that'll be the the main thrust of our of our episode talking some some World Cup and uh, the middle Megilla. Uh, you know, for our three or four UK listeners, football <laughs> news. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about about just what's been going on the last few weeks. I think I think the big story that that we want to just touch it's on European football. It's European Euro- football. European football. They just call it football in Europe. You know. Wow. Um. Yeah. The subject we focused most of our last episode on was, of course, the Kyrie Irving anti-Semitism scandal. Um. There there really hasn't been that much news per se since then. I mean, he did apologize. We should say that as we're taping this, he has not been returned to his team. Uh, you know, he, he was suspended for five games. I think it's now been seven games and he's going to miss an eighth, uh, cause they're on a road trip. Uh, the, the latest news this morning was, was Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, the consummate NBA insider said that who, he who is Jewish? Ky- he is not Jewish. Woj is not Jewish. No, you've blown my mind, man. I, I, I'm going to say that's a, that's a Mike Jacobs all-star of the media set. Anyways, non-Jewish NBA commentator Adrian Wojnarowski uh, tweeted this morning that uh, he was told Kyrie has made progress, whatever that means. There was a checklist that they had given him uh, of a number of things that he was supposed to do, including uh, donating to anti-hate causes, undergoing training for anti-Semitism, and meeting with the ADL and Jewish leaders. I, I have no idea if he's done any yeah, of the specific like, parts of it. I feel like, you know like coming back from an anti-Semitism scandal isn't necessarily a thing you can checklist your way out of yeah i know it's It's all just sort of vibes qualitative than that it's all just sort of vibes at this point you know what i mean and like i've heard from people where they've where they've said to me like the most disconcerting or or like saddening part of all this is like the lack of condemnation and from from other nba players or from uh you know i mean there were plenty of former like shaq and and kareem had plenty to say and I think that's something we focused on the last time as well. It's just like, it is a bit disappointing. And like, I, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Bomani Jones the other day, the Defectors podcast with him. And, and he was saying like, you know, if you're from New York, like these guys are not a threat. Like they, they like stand outside of the, uh, you know, arenas dressed like Parliament Funkadelic and like hand out flyers to people. Like they're, they're not like an active threat to Jews. 
and, and I agree. Like the Black Hebrew Israelites, like they're they're pretty low down on the list, which is something so that we're talking about. So that's not actually true. Because in well, Hoboken, about three years ago, a black sure. Hebrew Israelite killed a whole bunch of people. I, I, I agree. It's not that there isn't uh, an influence that has had anti-Semitic uh, you know, hate crimes as part of it. I'm just saying that the majority of black Hebrew Israelites are not like an active threat. But I'm saying it, it, that's why I'm saying like the whole thing is not the issue itself. It's just the vibes on this. And like, of course, you know, we, we went over this last time. The, the video had, you know, it, Ford's the International Jew reprinter, it reprinted, you know, protocols type stuff. It had Holocaust now. And it all it had all these things that are like, uh, you know, if Incorrectly not outright, spelled Adolf Hitler. Yeah. If not outright hate crimes themselves, then, then certainly have led people to hate crimes. I, I just feel like it's not it, that that's not really the relevant part at this point. The point is just like Kyrie needs to needs to atone to a certain degree in order to make few, people feel comfortable. And like, I guess he still has not done so. And, what if he and, and fasts sort of the for whole... 24 hours? If he goes through a 24-hour fast, no water, has to stand for all of Kol Nidre, is he forgiven? Well, he's got another eight months until uh, he can do that. Eight, but nine it's the, months it's until, the way until we atone. That. That's true. Oh, look, I don't think he. I don't look. I don't think he needs to like. I don't know. Be forced into something that's uncomfortable for him. But like, what he refused to do is just sort of do the bare minimum until it was too late. So now it's like, hey, that bare minimum of just saying like. I didn't watch this movie and I apologize for any anti-Semitic uh, tropes it, you know, contained and or outright anti-Semitism it contained. But he didn't do that in the moment. Now it's just like, well, it's a little too late now. Yeah, none weird. Of it, it's impossible for it to feel sincere at this point. Yeah, right? There I isn't think anything right. you could say or do that is like, you know what? I, he gets it. Yeah. So I think it'll either be a few more games and like we just go on with it and we move on to something else or, uh, you know, what people were feeling last week or the last two weeks was just sort of like maybe he's out of the NBA slash off the Brooklyn Nets. What uh, and, and that might still be the case. I guess will we'll he say. ever be able to play in Brooklyn without being booed? Like, if you know, that he's going to be question. he's going to yeah. be booed in Toronto. He's going to be booed in New York, probably Miami, probably L.A. He yeah. might get some cheers, like some, you know, solidarity cheers in like Salt Lake City or Oklahoma. But I don't know about that. I, I again, I think, it, yeah, maybe he needs to resurface somewhere where there are fewer Jewish uh, fans and, and, and fewer anyways, evangelicals, too. Yeah, I, I look, I, I think that everything that can be said about it has been said, uh, you know, we'll continue to monitor it. But it's just sort of like old news at this point and we'll see what happens with Kyrie but you know I'm I guess I'm just sort of like done thinking about it that much because like it's not like we're getting any better answers or better feelings about this or like his you know some sort of uh something else coming to the surface that makes you understand it more it's just sort of like all right this guy is out there in all kinds of different ways and yep. this time it took a very anti-semitic vibe <laughs> and uh I just, and I, I guess it's just been a sort of sad litmus test for the NBA because you haven't had uh, people coming out in, in, you know, in support of Jews the way they have. Players certainly, at least, haven't come out in support of Jews the way they have for other causes. I think uh, that's sort of also. We talked about, you know, there's sort of a low expectations thing here that a lot of people give to Kyrie. I think that if you are a well-known conspiracy theorist, the surprise is when you don't think the Jews are behind it. <laughs> Every like like everyone, Kyrie included has a Jewish billionaire particular that they think controls the world. Some people call him George Soros. Other people call him Baron de Rothschild. Other people call him Sheldon Adelson. And like, no matter who you are, if you're not Jewish, there is some evil Jewish billionaire to you. So if you're a conspiracy theorist, it's only a matter of time before you get to which, which, it's like a good BuzzFeed quiz. Which right. Jewish billionaire do you think controls the world? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I do think that is sort of like the end game for any conspiracy theory slash like conspiratorial thinking about the world. Like it, it, it never comes down to like and the people responsible for it 
are the Episcopalian. You know, <laughs> it's just it, you know, it never is that. It always maybe, it, eventually it just get around to being the Jews. Maybe Kyrie will figure out that the Earth is flat because of the Jews. It used to be round, and now the Jews are the ones that have made it flat. We flattened hey, if that, it. We've if that if that's what gets him on our side. It it uh, unleavened. It it had to unleaven because in eighteen minutes only could we uh, shape the world to get away from the anti-Semitic planet. So Earth had to become unleavened in the biblical times. Okay, I think these these metaphors have been sufficiently uh, beaten as dead as the dead horses they are. Let's move on to some other Jewish sports news. I, I think we should say you know a hearty muzzle took to Alex Bregman. Um, past, World Series past MVP? And, no, World Series champion. Yeah. He did not World Series champion MVP. for the second time. Didn't win the MVP, but contributed contributed certainly to their uh, triumph over the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, you know, so we wish him wish him well on that. Uh, definitely wasn't rooting for the Astros, but whatever. You know, good for them. They won. This one feels cleaner, I guess, uh, in some ways. And I guess we we can hold our breath for news about uh, Bregman playing for Israel in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, I think it's probably unlikely because I think we would have heard something by now. We'll ask him. Uh, if we if we get a hold of him, we'll ask him. Yeah. We'll ask I, I him think, why not. I, I think he has said for now that he intends to sit it out. So yep. uh, that's probably just, uh, you know, getting a little older. He has kids recovering from injury type thing. But you never know. Andrew, I guess he could change his mind. Interestingly, yep. as we heard from, you know, John and the Mayo, I guess several, several years ago talking about Team Israel, he was a qualification player on the right. Team Israel 2017 cycle because um, right. he hadn't made the majors yet. Yeah. And, and he only he played, missed that tournament because he got called up. And I think he did play for the U.S. in the last one. Um, but, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't change that uh, change that around. So anyways, we'll see. I, I should say that um, there was some other Jewish baseball news, which is that uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jays prospect Spencer Horowitz was added to the 40-man roster. Um, Spencer is like a real like depth guy. He was picked in the yep. 24th round a few years ago. Uh, he's from Maryland and he, you know, is a college baseball player. So a little bit older than, uh, than most, than most prospects, but he was added to the 40 man roster. I think in a, you know, sort of surprise move. Um, it doesn't mean that he'll be on the 26 man, like major league roster at the beginning of the season or anything like that, but it, it, you know, part of it's to protect him from being selected in the rule five draft. Uh, and I got to say, like, I don't even know all the, all the intricacies of, of how that works, but that is sort of the reason for it. And it just means that the, the Jays value him. They don't want to lose enough that they don't want to lose him. And, uh, I think, I we feel like, see- I feel like that's kind of the worst way for a Jewish player to make the team is not through a legal, a legal requirement or a technicality <laughs> is right. that with all due respect to Hen- to Spencer, but is that sort of the like major league way of your parents calling and asking for more <laughs> playing time? Look, I don't think it is. Baseball has a lot of weird things and, and, you know, you have, you have minor league rosters that are certainly in the, in, you know, hundreds of, a hundred plus players that you have to manage. So there's different machinations that go on. Often um, guys get to a point where it's sort of like, you gotta, you gotta make the majors or you gotta go home. So like, you know, Horowitz is, is 25 years old. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, he just turned 25 years old. That's sort of like the edge of prospects, right? Like I, once you turn 25, I think you, you're no longer considered a prospect, at least like, I know that's the way fan graphs does it. Is, so, is there a Yiddish phrase for shit or get off the pot? <laughs> there, there must be. There must um, be. And sort of that's where he's at in his career. No, again, no disrespect to him, but the Blue Jays have to do that with him. Yeah. It's the and Jays you know, he, who have to shit or get off the pot. He hit well last year, especially in Double A. Uh, he hit two ninety seven. Like he was among the Eastern League leaders. Again, not something that would be uh, that would be unexpected given his age. But 
let's see how he does in the bigs. I, I think, you know, he's he's mostly a first baseman, so I'm you know, I don't know how much playing time there is necessarily there uh for the Blue Jays, but we'll see. You know, I, I think for for local Jays fans, he's the first Jew we've had on the team since Rowdy Telez. Uh for for a Jays team that's that's had a, a number of Jews in the last few years between Rowdy and Kevin Pilar and uh, Danny Valencia. Um and Pilar uh, Pilar who will be at the World Baseball Classic um playing yep. for Team Israel, as will Rowdy. However, Rowdy is playing for Team Mexico. Um right. Which is interesting in that he had three countries to choose from, two of which he has never lived in. So I'm happy that he was able to choose, you know, the one he was happy with, which is Mexico, which is another important part of his heritage. Um, But we're sad to miss him on Team Israel, obviously. Yeah. Um, He's a a beefy boy chick. So keep out for Spencer, uh, especially, you know, our local uh, Blue Jays fans. Obviously, the last season ended sadly, but uh, he might be a bright light in the next season. Unexpected gem, 24th round prospect. So his his light was only expected to burn for one minor league season. Yet so far it has burned for six or seven and maybe he'll get an eighth. He's the Hanukkah of Jewish baseball players. Spencer Horowitz. Horowitz. No, no double O. Just Horowitz. Yeah. And we should say that other uh, Jewish, slightly Jewish sounding uh, Blue Jays prospect, Ricky Tideman, is not Jewish. So. It's a it's a double N Tideman. I feel yeah, like there's a, du- a there's a like a small a small line there between Holocaust victim and perpetrator that's defined by that second N. Uh, if, yeah. If, you also, know, his, also his first name is is Tariq, which I think is also <laughs> a, a giveaway that he's not a like it's Ricky. He goes by it's Ricky, Ricky but it's Tariq. Tariq. There's yeah. got to be Jewish Tariq somewhere. Uh, maybe not since the fifties and the expulsion of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. <laughs> yeah. If like the last, the last sort of Turkish or Iranian Jews back when that was a little more popular, um, you'd see a lot more of them, I, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, Tariq, you don't, it's Ricky isn't Tariq. I, I found out recently, it's not but that, um, Tony Finau, the golfer short for Milton. Hmm. Weird. So you don't think you don't think about the non the non traditional uh, uh, short form names. So I'm happy for them. I'm, Anyways, I'm happy there, for anyone who can pull that off. Any other Jewish sports news you wanted to talk about before we got into the World Cup? Um, the F1 season is coming to an end. Um, we actually saw a couple of Jewish drivers in a race. Uh, Lance Stroll got points in the last race, but sort of an F1 prospect for Ferrari who uh, competes under an Israeli flag because his Israeli um, family is, uh, is uh, whoops, um, Jewish. Um, but he was raised in Russia, races under the Israeli flag because the Russian flag has been banned from international sports. Uh, Robert Schwartzman, or Robert Mikhailovich Schwartzman, is a Russian-Israeli uh, who worked, who's a junior for, fa- um, for Ferrari, um, won a, a minor league a couple of years ago and actually got an F1 shot uh, to oh, drive wow. a car in a practice session. So there could be a second Jew in F1 um, after Lance Stroll, who's putting together the end of a, a disappointing but okay season for Lance. Um, but Robert Schwartzman and him shared a track. Two Jews on the track. You don't see that that often. Cool. Um, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was just that uh, Denny Avdia, the Israeli uh, basketball player who's playing for the Washington Wizards, uh, has, has had a, re- a few really good games recently. Most recently on last Sunday, his last game he played uh, against Memphis, he scored 21 points. He hit four threes, five assists. Uh, you know, 50% shooting. He had two games before that, 13 and 12 uh, points in those two games. His minutes in those games were over 30 per game. Uh, he seems to be getting a shot and maybe putting it together. So this is like a thing to keep track of. I mean, Denny has been, I don't want to say a disappointment. That's not really fair to him. But, you know, he's a third year player who hasn't really hit it big yet. Um, he hasn't had like the big, the big jump yet. 
he still hasn't quite made that jump, but he started most of the games for the Wizards this year, uh, who are surprisingly, you know, having an above 500 year and have won a few games in a row now. So keep an eye out. Maybe he's turning the corner. Maybe he's putting it together. Uh, obviously, this is something that's that'd be very interesting and, and cool to see. You know, he, he's he's uh, he's 21 years old. He's almost he's, he's it. It's 22. only 21. So yeah, he he's is, turn 22 next year. But like he's this is, closer to his bar mitzvah than his bar mitzvah was to when he was born. That's how sure. young he is. Yes, he's under 26. Yes, um, that's right. That's right. So, yes, he has a shot at uh, maybe putting it together. Anyways, uh, why don't we take a quick break and come back with some World Cup talk. World Cup discussion. Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days. Embark on a thrilling adventure one day and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.com. Hi, I'm Meredith Shiner, and I'm the host of a new podcast from Tablet Studios called The Franchise. Jews, sports, and America. In this limited series, I'll be talking to journalists, athletes, professional sports nerds, and more about the intersections of contemporary Jewish American life and sports culture. This show tackles the big questions like, do we still need Sandy Koufax as our icon? And are the Mets the most Jewish team in sports? And are sports just? But really, it's a show that uses sports as the prism to explore the most pressing issues for American Jews today, from identity to justice to assimilation or lack thereof. The show is serious and fun and serious fun, and I hope you'll listen to the franchise wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the World Cup's here. Soccer's biggest event. Every four and, I guess, then some years, uh, we're back in the World Cup. You know, it's a it's a strange November World Cup. We're in Qatar, Qatar, however you want to pronounce it. Um, uh, and this is sort of a World Cup with not a lot of Jewish players. We know of one who's currently in the World Cup, uh, DeAndre Yedlin, who this, I think, this is his second World Cup for Team USA, um, currently plays in, in North America after having a good career in the Premier League. Um, but beyond him, there isn't many more. There's some Jewish broadcasters, some Jewish coaches. But there's a really interesting Jewish history to this World Cup, James. Um, okay. And, that's, and that starts with a guy named Chuck Blazer. Uh, does the name mean anything to you? No, who's that? So Chuck Blazer was an American uh, FIFA sort of executive of CONCACAF and FIFA. He died in 2017, um, but he sort of had a very big role in bringing the World Cup to Qatar, and it's not a good one. Uh, so I guess I, I'll start at the beginning. Um, 
Chuck Blazer, he is a Jewish kid from Queens, went to Forest Hills High School, NYU, did his MBA, went to business school, sort of like a, a New York marketing hustler guy. And uh, he was sort of, he started as like a coach and administrator of like local youth Queens soccer leagues. Um, but he sort of had a talent for soccer organization. So he worked his way up all throughout, up until the mid 80s into uh, being in charge of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, he was sort of in charge of the U.S. men's soccer team. He sort of brought uh, U.S. men's soccer to sort of the heyday as what it is now. He was instrumental in bringing the World Cup in 1994 uh, mm -hmm. to America as well. He created, or he was on part of the team that uh, he created um, the U.S. women's soccer team, which didn't exist until he was in charge of the Soccer Federation. Um, so wow. he sort of has a really, really, really big, big impact on American soccer for a very long time. Um, and then it was, I guess, in 1996, right after the success of the American um, World Cup team, um, World Cup hosting, that he joined uh, FIFA. Um, so in 2009, we're getting here. They're about to reward the 2022 World Cup. They reward the 2018 one to Russia, the 2020 World Cup. Uh, it is likely going to be in America. And then all of a sudden, sort of out of nowhere, Qatar gets awarded the World Cup. Uh -huh. We all know that Sepp Blatter was a pretty, who was the president of FIFA at the time, um, was a pretty sketchy dude. Um, you know, he's been investigated with, for all sorts of financial crimes, um, as well as various other uh, uh, investigations. So Blazer is uh, on on a a on the FIFA committee, and there's sort of a sketchy thing about why didn't America get the World Cup in 20, 2020, but somehow they get it in. Uh, but somehow in 2020, 2022, is that the year now? In 2022, they get awarded the World Cup. It's happening now. So Chuck Blazer starts an investigation into his FIFA colleagues who then immediately decide to fire him. Mm -hmm. um, so Blazer was then fired by FIFA, questioned by the ethics committee. Um, and at the same time, he sort of gets the finger pointed. So in starting an investigation for taking the World Cup away from America and into Qatar, they the FIFA sort of turns their efforts on him. And it's revealed that in for the last, you know, 15 years or so when he was in charge of the CONCACAF Soccer Federation. And part of this, um, he worked without a job and had been given $15 million in under the table cash from FIFA for various wow. reasons during his, per, uh, during his time there. It's not over. So in revenge... Chuck Blazer goes to the FBI and has the president of the Asian Football Federation, a guy named Mohammed bin Hammam, um, who I believe is Qatari. He is Qatari. Um, and he works with the FBI to prove that the 2022 World Cup was delivered to Qatar through bribery from the Af uh, Asian Football Confederation, Mohammed bin Hammam, um, Thanks to Chuck Blazer's whistleblower whistleblowing in double, triple agencies and back and forth, sort of pointing at each other for money laundering. So to get it short, Chuck Blazer stole a bunch of money, decided to investigate someone else for stealing a bunch of money. They then tried to investigate him, and then he had the upper hand by getting that person arrested and then immediately dying after he pled guilty. So it seems like it seems like the only real uh, Jewish internationalist conspiracy theory is just to get Qatar the uh, World Cup. And or screw with other international soccer stuff. It's an interesting story because, you know, ultimately Blazer is sort of a representative of the history and type of corruption you see in international soccer. Yet he also is the one who blew the whistle to do it. 
um, right. while pleading guilty. So, you know, even though there aren't a lot of Jews in this World Cup, you can almost say that it is both a Jewish reason why the World Cup is in Qatar and why it probably won't be in Qatar again. This is good. This is good that we're highlighting a, a bad Jew here. Uh, you know, he did some <laughs> bad things, like a bad Jew in sports. Can't just can't just focus on the good. You know, we gotta we gotta do warts and all. So that's an interesting place to start. I mean, uh, it does seem very like I was saying before. This is like a normal feeling sporting event in terms of like COVID for the first time in a while, but very weird feeling otherwise. Um, I should I should mention that there was a, a good article on Forward. Uh, posted earlier today, written by Dan Friedman. Uh, sorry, just the other day, written by Dan Friedman, just saying mm-hmm. Jews, Jews should boycott the World Cup, and everybody else should too. But but here's the here's the Jewish reason why you should boycott it. And I feel like that's like uh, there's nothing wrong with this article. Like it's perfectly it's perfectly um, well written in terms of like what you would expect it to say about the reasons why we should we should be boycotting the World Cup. But it is an interesting genre of of Jewish um, culture writing that I feel like has propped up, which is like. It, it, it's sort of like a base rate fallacy where it's like everyone should be doing this here's our jewish angle on it and it's like there's no i don't know that there are specifically jewish reasons to boycott the world cup i mean aside from it being qatar and i guess you could talk about qatar's history of treatment of jews and, and stuff like that i don't think and, it was and, that good their treatment yeah yeah okay sure but like you know it's lack of relationship with israel again not unique in the arab world um mm-hmm. and it does have a relationship now i guess but um anyways the point is there are reasons why the world cup should be boycotted by all i think those moral reasons maybe hang on jews more seriously than other people is that a fair way to put it i mean we've talked about i, this I think so i mean olympics like before there's you know certainly we've talked about the olympics and and lots of people i also think that like you know, this is going to be a somewhat sensitive thing to say, but I think the concept of like forced labor in the Middle East in bondage for the entertainment of the wealthy is a thing that Jewish people have a number of holidays and commemorations specifically okay. swearing it wouldn't happen again. No, that's, um, a, that's a very good point. And, and I think like, again, like that's a good reason, but it's also, but it is also a good reason that like anyone should not be in favor of yes. Cotter's World Cup. Uh, you know, there was essentially forced labor and terrible labor standards uh, and practices uh, uh, more that led people, to the death of many people. More people died during the construction of the Qatari World Cup stadiums than died on September 11th. It's unbelievable. And I mean, the whole thing is like is like a shame. And I think I feel like I've said this every Olympics that we've talked about as well, where it's just sort of like, at the end of the day, like I, I care about the, the people who are participating in it and like I care for them and like all the people who care about it as well that like I can't stay away like I, I know I'm gonna watch like it's 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 you know very high quality soccer again a sport I don't really care that much about like I watch the World Cup I watch the Euros I'll watch Canada qualifying like uh, you know I'll watch TFC when they're when they're uh when they're doing well um and you know again here and there but it's just like but it's just such an event that it's like I can't I can't look away even if yeah. I know I should even if I know from an ethical standpoint I should I really I just can't I, I maybe I mean like again maybe that's an unethical thing to do I don't disagree with any of the arguments that uh, Dan Friedman made in that article or that other people have made about Cotter and, and why we should and why everyone should boycott. I just I, I, I personally I can't do it. I don't know. Yeah, I think you also wonder, like, you know, are, were we going to watch it when it was Russia? Were we going to watch it when, right. if it would be in America, a country that also does a lot of bad shit? It's not as like acute as it is, you know, in, in Qatar in the last four years. But, you know, if you're wealthy enough to host an international sporting event that is you know, supposed to be representative of peace and let's call it honest competition, if you decide to look at look away from all of the slavery and the bribery, um, then there aren't really a lot of countries that don't have human rights abuses. 
uh, especially okay, it's acute a, ones. It is a, okay. It is a little different though. This is not, um, you know, some thing that happens to be going on in Qatar. This is very no, much it's a directly thing that, related yeah. to the World Cup. No, and I'm saying it's the Qatari state uh, that is that is making this happen. You know, that has been the the force for making all this happen. Yeah, and, and you know, it is a it is a state that has been particularly uh, antagonistic to Israel and anti-Semitic in other ways as well. Uh, so again, if anyone, if anyone, like if anyone came up to me and said, I can't believe you're watching the world cup. I can't watch it for a second. Uh, as a Jew, I'd be like, yeah, I get, I get it. I just, I, I don't know. I can't look away no matter what. I thought Anyways. it was something very interesting that, that Louis van Gaal, who's the head of the Dutch national team, um, actually has a Jewish connection as, you know, he is not Jewish, but he spent most of his career playing for Ajax, um, okay. which is sort of or a good, good part of his career playing for Ajax. He managed Ajax for a very long time. Which is the Jewish, the Jewish Dutch team. It is there, the Jewish Dutch team. Traditionally. Absolutely. Traditionally. Um, there's a number of Jewish players who have played for Ajax, sort of legends. Um, no, I don't think any of them appeared in a World Cup for, for Team Netherlands. Um, but, you know, they had sort of a, a bad time in the 60s during Ajax's glory days. The Dutch weren't really particularly good. But um, Louis van Gaal today said that, you know, if you are a fan of Netherlands and you want to boycott the World Cup, look, that is the morally correct thing to do. He said, like, if you're a fan and you want to boycott, you are right. You, like, yeah. what he said is supporters are right to boycott. What he also said was, we're hoping the team is good enough that you watch anyway, even though that the boycott is morally correct. Um, well, again, you know, we can go back and forth on this. I don't have a good answer. And I just feel like I wish I had the maybe I wish I had the. Uh, the koach to uh to you know be go through with my convictions and, and you know support my ethics here you also wonder in the absence of like the current the past cast of fifa you know the corrupt era of executives if in the post blazer reckoning that sort of thing is actually going to go away um right is there always going to be bribery in international sport maybe and like you know the u.s and canada where we live in canada is is hosting the next world cup um, mm-hmm. It was awarded sort of after all of this controversy, but like we're hoping that that they didn't have to bribe anybody and use slave labor in order to build any of the stadiums. Um, yeah. And I know they didn't, but like you know, where where's the line of just enough corruption that you're okay with it, but not enough that it actually kills people in like a mass death type situation? Sure. I mean, I, I, I you know, this is probably too far in to get into the politics of this, but like. I'm sure that before they play a uh, World Cup game at the at BMO Field in Toronto, there will be a land acknowledgement uh, of some kind because there often is in, in, in these large sporting there events. There is a TFC games for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's great. I, I think it's nice they do land acknowledgements. It doesn't change the fact that the stadium is built on, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's treaty or, or unceded land, uh, but that's where that stadium is built. And yeah. uh, that land is not being given back. I'll tell you that much. So... It doesn't. Anyways, we, no, we can deal with those, those ethical, like, ethical bridges when we when we come to them uh, in four years. We'll discuss it on the 2026 uh, Mensch World, Cup, World preview. Cup preview. Uh, uh, so, so, is there any other just... any other Jewish participant in the World Cup? Uh, you know, aside from players, is there anyone else you want to talk about and highlight here? Um, legendary broadcaster Andres Cantor, um, who oh, does yeah, the Spanish language American telecast. Uh, you might know him as the man who says "Goal" and so on. Um, he he is Jewish. He is from Buenos Aires and is an Argentinian Jew. There's actually a long history of Argentinian Jewish soccer. Several of them have played on the national teams. 
Um, mm-hmm. However, most of them sort of came before the World Cup era in the mid-1930s. Um, a lot of the heyday of Argentinian Jewish soccer is in the 10s and the 20s. Um, the, you know, we were, I was sort of looking at all of the history of, of uh, World Cup soccer players um, who are Jewish. There are a few. Some of them went and never played in the World Cup. Sort of a notable one for Chile, a man named Sebastian Rosenthal, um, who was in the 1998 sort of World Cup cycle but never made the team. Uh, or okay. they never got in the World Cup. There was Jeff Agus, um, who, you know, uh, he's he's Swiss-born, but uh, he was called the Goose. He is Jewish from Texas, grew up in America, was a Maccabiya player, sort of like a very proud Jewish player, played at the 2000, um, a 2002 World Cup in a number of different games, actually scored an own goal. So maybe he's the first Jewish player to score a goal in the World Cup. Um, there are a couple of uh, a sort of a notable uh, Soviet player from the 19... 19- 82 World Cup, Leonid Buryak, um, who is from Odessa um, and sort of part of the Odessa and Ukrainian Jewish community. Um, he played there. He has an Olympic medal as well. But there aren't there aren't a lot more. I think that's more or less it. We can, you know, there's obviously a number of, of famous Dutch players who played for many, many years, but not in Ajax, but uh, didn't play in a lot of World Cups. Um, there is, however, one uh, sort of in, in the, I think it was the 19... 70 world cup in mexico is the only time israel ever played in the world cup right um they had one loss and two draws they have never made it since and never made it before they are probably sort of the larger um set of of jewish players um and since then (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think the israeli team is probably going to be the most more jewish than than most of the other teams probably the most um they actually missed out the closest they've come so far is they missed out on the 2014 world cup by uh one point Right. Um, so like very, very closely, they missed it, which was too bad. Um, so that's the closest they've been otherwise. Um, but it's, it's also unfortunate because due to a lot of like, you know, uh, uh I don't know, I, we can call it like politics or anti-Semitism or Israeli politics. Israel is actually in the uh, right. European they football. They compete right. against they all of much, the European teams. They have a much harder way in than if they competed with other uh, Middle Eastern Middle Eastern teams who all compete in Asia. Asia. Yeah. yeah, they all compete in the Asian team, as we learned with Qatar earlier and, and, and our arrested friend here. Um, and then lastly, we've sort of got a, a United States legend played in the 98 World Cup, Jonathan Bornstein, um, who played for a long time. Uh, for Team USA, there would have been an, a Russian player in the World Cup if Russia wasn't kicked out. Um, right. We, Had we, they qualified or it's unclear? Uh, they, they, were they were kicked out before the qualification cycle right. ended. So sort mm-hmm. of right at the end. Um, uh, we talked about Leonid Buryak, um, but uh, the the player's name is... Oh, hang on. I had it a second ago. Ah. Um, what was, his name was Heichel. Did I get that right? Um. Oh, I've lost it. Shit. I'm sorry. I closed the page with a note on it. Michael, you're going to have to cut this out. I apologize. Hang on. Nikita Heiken? Yeah. It's either Heiken or Heiken or something like that. It looks Um, like it's Heiken. So he's got, you know, a a number of those. Um, So it's, it's, there aren't a lot beyond that. Um, well, we should we should say uh, you know good luck to DeAndre Yedlin and the U.S. men's national team. It it is quite an honor for him to be called onto the 2022 team. He was on the 2014 uh, U.S. U.S. men's national team, and I think yep. he's the only one who was on that team. Obviously, uh, people remember that the U.S. didn't make the 2018 World Cup, um, but uh, they're back, and yep. you know should be should be a decent team. Uh, unfortunately, Italy didn't make it. I guess Mario Balotelli 
who is not Jewish, but, you know, sort of uh, fostered and raised by a Jewish family who he yes. considers his own. Um, um, yeah, Israel, I don't know I, if I don't know if Balotelli would have made the World Cup team, but he might have, you know, he, so a little bit been, past his prime. It would have been a twist. He's a little yeah. past his prime, but it would have been fun. It would have been yeah. really, really fun. Um, yeah. If any of you know about any other um, Jews who might be in the in the tournament, in the coaches or referee world either, um, sure. there could be a Jew referee. There's a, a, a Canadian referee who's an MLS ref named uh, Drew Fisher. As far as we can tell, he's not Jewish, but he's Canadian and we care. And the name Andrew Fisher, I think, would like, I would call that a a Mike uh, Jacobs All Star, a Mike Jacobs All Star, Andrew Fisher. It's close. There's um, enough. There's enough non-Jewish Fishers. I agree. My my like my Judar is always tingling when I hear see Fisher, but it's not. Uh, it's not true. Always activated. There's enough non-Jewish Fishers too. That it, it, there is. There is. There yeah. are enough non-Jewish Fishers, but there are also some. Um. So you never really know. But it, it, we'd love to hear more if we can. Um. You know, there's an Istvan Kovacs. Who's also a a UEFA referee? Kovacs, I feel like Hungarians. You get a lot of up and down. Kovacs could be his his name is essentially Stephen Kovacs, um, mm-hmm. which you could also think could be Sandy Kovacs. So there might be a, a Hungarian football referee whose name is kind of Sandy Kovacs, uh, Istvan Kovacs at the 2022 World Cup. But that that's sort of as Jewish as we can get it. Um, starting with Chuck Blazer and ending with DeAndre Yedlin from B to Y. <laughs> that's almost a full alphabet. Right. It's not bad. Uh, well, we'll definitely be watching, uh, you know, like it or not, the, the World Cup and keep an eye on that. And, and maybe even tune into a few, uh, was it Telemundo, I think, that he calls for? Uh, yes, Telemundo or Univision. Games. Is it Television? Or Univision, or... okay. Uh, either Univision or Telemundo. I don't know which yep. ones we actually get here. But uh, to, to listen to Andres Cantor, make some, make some of those legendary goal calls. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, until next time, uh, you can follow us as always and read our pieces download our podcast at the canadian jewish news website the cjn.ca uh you can follow us on twitter uh until we're kicked out for impersonating uh, Kyrie <laughs> irving twitter.com slash menschwarmers uh please like and subscribe to this podcast and thanks again to our producer michael freeman for for putting up with us and uh producing the podcast <laughs>